Welcome to Talking Architecture and Design. My name is Branko Melodic and today we are speaking with Coasty Kaiser, a founding partner and principal of DKO Architecture who has built a highly regarded role as an urban designer and architect with a particular expertise and focus in, in re- residential developments. As principal of DKO, uh, Coasty Kaiser, have I got that right? Coasty Kaiser is actively involved in all projects throughout Australia, New Zealand and Southeast Asia. His passion and firm commitment in architectural integrity combines to deliver a strong emphasis on contemporary sustainable communities and is being adopted as a benchmark, or benchmarks rather, for contemporary residential development Australia-wide. Welcome to Talking Architecture and Design, Coast D. Kaiser. Branko, it's lovely being here. Thank you for having me. And I only managed to mispronounce your name once. There you go. You did well. Um, okay, so let's talk about residential developments. In my role as editor of Architecture and Design, um, I forever hear how badly our residential buildings are designed for our, our climate here. Is this your experience, I mean, being, being a Dutchman, is this your experience and what are the three main components of a well-designed residential building? Well, I think Australian residential architecture is getting better by the day and um, I think in New South Wales with the actual SEP 65 that came in here some 10 years ago, I think it's, it's uh, hugely changed the way that architects and the general, uh, the general community look at architecture and look at um, apartment design. Um, I think livability is probably the most important thing in a residential project. I think access to sunlight, access to uh, ventilation, and also a sense of place, something that actually does something to the street and really becomes quite individual in a street is actually really important. Um, Australia hasn't had a huge history of high-density um, residential architecture, certainly in the last um, 10, 15 years um, in our major cities that's changed. Um, and I would say quite categorically that I think um, that Sydney currently has some of the best residential architecture currently being built in Australia. Any, any place you'd like to particularly for, um, you know, single out? Well, I we a lot of the work that we have won in Sydney has been through the design excellence uh, competition. Uh, we've done some projects down in Erskineville in Alexandria, and um, I think um, a lot of our peers um, are doing fabulous work down there. SJB Turners are, are doing some very good contemporary architectural work in the southern suburbs of, of uh, Sydney, which. Um, um, is is providing both fabulous neighbourhoods, but also, more importantly, fabulous apartments to actually live in. Oh, interesting. Okay, so on that theme, you you've been quoted saying that DKO as a practice is 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 a practice that that where we are obsessed about a sense of place. Um, tell me about how this sense of place differs in in Sydney. Um, and Melbourne and in that respect I mean again I'll I'll draw your European um, heritage here I guess Um, does it differ that much? Yes it does Um, I I always find that really mind-boggling that I can fly four or five hours from Sydney to Perth 
and I drive out of the airport in Perth and it feels like driving into the airport in Sydney. And that kind of architectural similarity and streetscape that that doesn't change across a continent, I I just find mind-boggling. And I always compare it to when you're in a train in Europe, a Dutch train, and you cross the border into Germany, you straight away see that the German farmyards are organised in a different way to the Dutch farmyards, the barns look different, the thatch is different, and there's this sense of place that's actually quite immediate. Um, And I think architects are starting to realise that, and I think a lot of that currently in Australia is actually climatically driven. Um, Certainly I think a lot of my peers in Brisbane uh, are actually dealing with climate in a really... Uh, Brisbane way where um, screens and foils and 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 fins um, and lightweight elements are becoming parts of buildings that actually make them look quite different to what buildings look like in Sydney. Um, Melbourne, I think, has had a much stronger brick heritage than than Sydney. I think um, in Melbourne, buildings are often a lot more sculptural, a lot more formal. Um, here in Sydney, especially in the last 10 years, I think um, some of the work being done by by ourselves and by um, my peers is starting to create this new sense of Sydney architecture, which is strongly um, based on climatical sensitivities, um, which actually makes makes buildings look different. Um, I'm also interested in not just what the building looks like. I'm, I'm interested in how the building touches the street. If you look at the building that we um, recently won the award for in um, Erskineville Eve, uh, the fact that it has stoops on the street, so um, the concept that a family can actually sit on the stoop in the late afternoon and watch pe- people walk past as opposed to a courtyard... Um, I think those kind of urbanistic things actually make our buildings better, but also, just as important, makes our streets much more interesting and much more vibrant to actually be in. So, do you have a preference? A preference to Melbourne or Sydney? Well, in terms of design, in terms of sense of place, where, where, where I mean, if you would, if you could, if you had to choose, okay, where, where would you choose? Sydney climate is a very hard climate to beat. Um, it's a very benign climate where one can actually live outside in a in a loggia 12 months of a year. Um, Melbourne, um, the, the climatic aspect makes apartment designs a little bit different. You're actually much more in, interested in winter gardens and the further self, uh, south that you go in Australia, the concept of shelter becomes stronger and stronger, whereas here in Sydney, the concept of inside-outside, I think, is a really beautiful concept, and I kind of love that inside-outside. You know, The fact that um, on a day like today, end of May, mm-hmm. that you can sit outside and just, en- just enjoy the sun and just the late afternoon. Are our 
architects more than just three-dimensional problem solvers, solvers as you, as I believe you, you called them once? Are they also, in a way, interpreters of history and perhaps even also futurists in some, in some respect at the same time? Can they determine what the future will be via this three-dimensional... Well, can they, I guess, influence what the future will be via this three-dimensional problem-solving problem um, architects are three-dimensional problem solvers, but they're also probably the last of the generalists. Um, and what, what I find upsetting about education nowadays is that all the kids have to specialise so quickly. The fabulous thing about architecture is that architects are expected to know a little bit about everything. And I think that um, I, I teach at the um, University of Melbourne. I teach a master's class. And um, I think that architects can change the future and I think it's incumbent on the profession to actually be positive about about the future, to actually have a firm stance on sustainable architecture and on architecture that's appropriate for our cities. Um, I think architects need to have a, a, a very vivid, strong sense of history because those that don't have that sense of history will actually make the same mistakes in the future. And my my only issue, I think, with Australian architectural education is that there isn't a huge amount of history talked about. It's um, it's it's very contemporary. Okay. Uh, interesting you say sustainability. Um, do you think perhaps architects need to concentrate more on sustainability and... and you know, without saying sacrificing aesthetics, at least focusing more on, on let's say, the, the, the long term rather than the short to medium term? Oh, look, Branka, I would absolutely agree with you on that. Um, look, I think what things look like, I think that's actually fashion and, and fashion changes. Um, that notwithstanding, I think a good a good building will actually last its time. But I think architects have a have a duty to actually make sure that buildings age well, age gracefully, and capture capture the sun and are low energy to run and um, and do all the right sustainable things. Um, that doesn't mean they don't need to look pretty, but um, I don't think being pretty is, is the essence of what architecture is about. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's talk... I, I think a lot of my profession might actually dis- <laughs> disagree with that, but, but I think um, there is a, a onus on, on the profession to actually be serious about s- sustainable architecture. Yeah. True, true. Okay. Let's turn our attention to globalisation. Um, how has this affected architecture? I'm, and I'm talking, you know, obviously on a, on a excuse the pun, on a global level. Um, have the effects been positive or negative in your mind? And what do these changes mean for what we are seeing that's being designed now? Well, it's interesting, Branko. I've got an office um, in Ho Chi Minh City. Um, oh, wow. I've got about 35 staff there. We've actually got a lot of work. Um, in in Vietnam, and I've probably learned more from Vietnam than I've taught Vietnam. Um, What I've learned from Vietnam is the way, and what I've learned, I guess, from a lot of Asian cities, and I I love travelling to Asia, 
is the way Asians deal with density is something that, that we in Australia can, can certainly learn from. Um, in Vietnam, you have little buildings that might be 10 stories tall that are three stories wide, that are three meters wide, and these little skyscrapers where, which might have three or four families in them, a totally different sense of privacy. Um, and whereas we we have this almost Anglo-Saxon mentality of, of a house with a fence around it. Mm-hmm. Um, in our own right, um, we developed five five-storey townhouses on a site in Collingwood on a, on a 163-square-metre block of land. We, we developed five five-storey townhouses and... Um, the agent said that that wouldn't sell. We needed lifts. I said, "Well, all the all the canal houses is in Amsterdam. None of those have have lifts. Mm-hmm. We um, sold those in 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 a week. Wow! Um, also won an architectural award. And I think what what's great about our industry is that we can learn from Holland. We can learn from Asia." different ways of dealing with density and I think what's really quite sad about Australian cities is that um, we have these high-rise city cores and then this kind of huge melange of suburb that that is no different in Sydney, Brisbane, Melbourne, Perth. Mm -hmm. It's exactly the same. Yeah. And then there's the associated transport issues and the associated congestion issues and, 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 and whatnot. So. Yeah, so, so, so I think the big thing we can learn from globalisation is how to create densities that are both humane and sustainable and also create special places. Um, I think Sydney's doing that um, in a much more systematic way than... Um, in Melbourne, mm-hmm. um, I think Melbourne has developed this um, this typology of fifty, sixty, seventy-story buildings that sits on that sit on podiums, and I think the 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 kind of Parisian six, seven-story building is probably where it's at, and what actually creates streets that are much better and much places to be in. Mm. Okay, interesting. been quoted as saying that co-working spaces will allow like-minded workers to interact even if they're from different organisations. Um, what actually does this look like? And excuse my ignorance because I, I know I'm a bit sort of confused, um, having never never worked in an area like that. So is this, is this actually a fundamental change in, um, in at least, well, what do you want to call it, corporate capitalism, I don't know, whatever the term is, and how does this change... Uh, the way at least some of us, I assume, will, will work. Uh, Branko, this is something that I'm really interested in. And um, part of that quote came from a meeting of in... in we, we're just about to move our office here in Sydney from the Redfern Post Office to um, around the corner here in Surrey Hills. And um, I was talking to a client of mine in Clarence Street and he said, well, how do you, how do you feel being on the city fringe? 
I said, well, I'm actually not really on the city fringe. I'm, in, I'm actually in the heart of the creative part of Sydney. Mm. You're in the city fringe. You're in the financial district. I'm in the creative part of Sydney. Mm. And I feel quite strongly, and I think the older I get, the more I'm kind of interested in, in this organic sense of people that are like-minded working together but not necessarily working not necessarily being part of the same firm so I like to talk about the actual creative tribe and part of my success in my business has been that we've always collaborated with different architects different artists um, different writers and I've always found that one plus one is three that, that, that it's much better to actually work with other people kind of outside your realm that actually challenge the way that you think. And so it's interesting, at this point in time, we're, we're currently designing a new office for ourselves here in Sydney and also a new office for ourselves in Melbourne. In Melbourne, um, we've actually got five sub-tenancies where we're actually keen to actually lease portions of that out to people that are part of our creative tribe and so I don't want to walk into an office that's a DKO office I actually want to walk into an office that's full of interesting people that actually challenge the way I think and I think in many ways that kind of organic sense is the future of architecture Okay, is it the future of a lot of could it, could it be the future of a lot of other um, professions, I mean certainly journalism, um, you know I guess uh, or, or other design, I guess, ba- or creative-based industries, that you, they would also work the same, would it not? Yeah. And look, in, in our office in Melbourne, there's currently a filmmaker there. We're actually looking at putting a graphic agency in there. And they're all people that, that basically go through the same design, creative process that, that we go through, but have a slightly different outcome. So I think it's a... It's certainly something I'm I'm interested in, and it challenges the status quo, and it challenges the kind of sense of um, I like hanging out with people that think in a different way to what I do. Well, sorry, Hills is the place to be if you want that. <laughs> um, okay, let's let's talk about you. I mean, and you know, I, I've gone. What is it now? Twenty five minutes, and I haven't even mentioned um, you know Eurovision. I um I noticed that you as an architect. Um, you have urban design qualifications. Okay? Yes, I do. Um, do you think, and I, I, I come across architects with those kind of qualifications, but not often, well, not often here in Australia. So do you think um, all architects should have urban design qualifications? What differences would we see in, for example, I don't know, our residential designs at least, if this were to be the case? Um that's a really good question, Branko. Um, look, I, I trained in Holland, and in Holland, your architecture degree is called um, Architecture and Stedebal, so architecture and city building. So so very much architecture is seen not just as building the actual icon or the structure or the building. It's actually about building a city. And I think that actually gives you this ability to actually look at things in a larger scale. I'm always interested in what the actual street feels like. I'm, I'm interested in what the corners look like. And I think um, a lot of architects are merely interested in what the actual 
clothes on the building look like. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but I think the ensemble of all those buildings on the street is actually just as interesting. And that starts to create the actual streets and the sidewalks and the places that we live in. So I do think a greater emphasis on urban design, again, in Australian architectural education, and I know certainly a number of um, universities are actually doing a lot more urban design research, which architects are becoming a lot more involved with. I think that would make for a... Is it almost myopic, the way that architects are trained here in Australia? I mean, when you, you said to me that you were, you were trained as... A, as, a, as an architect and also a city builder. Yeah. Um, there's obviously a connection between the buildings you design and the city that they're, that they're in, um, yet here there tends to be a little, little bit more, well, I don't, I don't know, a nichiness, a specialisation. Is, is there, there is a trap there, isn't there? Yes, there is. And, and um, what, you know, the, the, I, I always call myself an urbanist. I'm, I'm actually interested, I'm probably more interested in, in what the urban, what the urban uh, condition is. Um, and, and I'm not just, again, what we said about sustainable architecture. I'm, I'm sure I'm interested in the, how, what the building looks like, but I'm more concerned about what the street feels like. And I'm more concerned about what the building actually gives back to the streets. And I think that um, architects can become a little bit self-obsessed about about the prettiness of their building. Name three things you would like to see in the built environment occur straight away, and why these three? Why do? Why did you choose these three things? Um, I would like to see a lot more brickwork. Okay. Um, I'm a Dutchman, I love brickwork. In Holland, you've got thousands of different types of bricks. Mm -hmm. Bricks look good now. They look good in 10 years' time. They actually look good in 30 years' time. Um, I would like to see um, buildings that address the street in a positive sense. I think what's actually quite sad in the current planning regime through most of Australia is this concept of, of street activation, and that's mainly done through retail. I think most of our large cities are actually over-retailed. And if you walk up Oxford Street, you know, which is a beautiful street, you know, half of Oxford Street's empty, half of Chapel Street in, in Melbourne is empty. And that's probably also due to the Westfieldization of our, of our, of our retail industry. Um, the third thing is I'd like to see a lot more younger practitioners build more. And uh, I think part of, part of uh, not that I'm old, Branko, but, no, but, no, but, but, part of, but part of... Neither being, of us are old. Let's, let's part of it. being a practitioner who's practised here in this country for 30 years and very grateful for being in this country and practising is I think that is a duty that, that I help younger practices um, um, do do serious work. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the great things about the design excellence competition process here in Sydney, which I think is a good process in general, is that you're obliged to work with younger practices. And I think that's really good for the industry and really good for our built form. Mm -hmm. 
While we're on the subject of architects, and let's take away from the age thing, I mean... Well, IMP died last week. He was 102. 102. Yes, so, he was. So there you go. He was a, he was a young 102. Um, who is your favourite architect and why? That's a really good question. Who's my favourite architect? Look... My favourite building in Australia is certainly the Opera House, and okay. uh, and and Jörn Ortsen. I I kind of love um, his story, and uh, I'm certainly embarrassed as an Australian about how he was treated. Mm. Um, I also love the Harry Seidler story, okay. and that beautiful book. I forget who the editor of the book was, but but that beautiful book about about Harry and his wife and how how he started. Um, yeah, I think it's a fabulous um, story. Um, an architectural firm that, that, that constantly challenges me is Herzog de Morong. Mm-hmm. Um, just the the boldness of their propositions and the beauty at which um, their propositions are actually carried out. Um, one of my favourite buildings in the world, or there are actually two of them, Stephen Hall. Um, the linked hybrid in um, Beijing and and the other one in uh, Chen, in Chengdu, I think they're superb buildings and and fabulous architects. Um, closer to home, I, I'm I'm always very fond of um, Glenn Merkett. I think um, he he's done amazing things for architecture in this country. Mm-hmm. The mosque he's done um, in Altona, I think, is is a um, stunning building. Yeah, um, one wouldn't. One usually these days doesn't think of religious um, buildings as being, you know, something that one would always like to emulate. But I mean, you look at the mosque, and there's been a few others around the place. It's actually quite stunning. What a Zion's one is very good too. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh. yeah. Uh, have you seen the? Um, getting away from mosques, but it is kind of a religious thing. It's the um, the Qatar soccer stadium uh, for the 2022. Um, I think Zaha Hadid designed um, stadium. I, it's um, amazing. Yeah, no, no. I well, Zaha was a fabulous architect who who, who did some mm. fabulous work, and uh, I haven't seen that stadium. No, mm. it's worthwhile having a look. Coasty Kaiser, have I have I have I managed to say it right right for right again? Franco for a Croat, you're yeah, doing pretty well. There you go. Thank you very much um, for, for sharing your time and your knowledge and, 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 and your expertise and your ideas. Um, you've been listening to um, Talking Architecture and Design. Until next time, goodbye.